We're in the, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Would you please turn with me? There are a couple of things that are very relevant to us in this particular chapter. Uh, of course, we saw a couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 13 a parable. There was uh, different types of uh, soil. Um, the seed was hit the ground that was really hard and kind of uh, like just a road, you know, just a, a, a road that they traveled on. And it, it couldn't take seed. It didn't go into the, the root of the ground itself. And the birds came, if you remember, ate, ate it away and it was gone. And then the next seed fell upon a rocky road where there was rocks underneath the soil. And the roots grew, but they grew very shallow. And as soon as the sun came, it scorched them and they died. And then, then there was the, the, the seed that was, that was uh, sown into the, the uh, uh, ground that was, um, uh, had the, uh, thorns and, and, and stuff. And, and it, they, they didn't take seed either. And then finally, it said there was a seed that was sown in the good soil. And we, we learned that that's, that's a good heart. A heart that is willing and ready to receive the things of God. And when that seed was sown in that heart, it bore fruit. It gave forth fruit. And, and some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so what we are learning here in this place is, is about the heart, the, the, the preparedness of our hearts. We're going to come across two gentlemen. We've already looked at one, Simon. Simon, as it says in in verse 9, was a self-proclaimed someone who thought himself great. He was a a magician. And he had uh, drawn the attention of the people. The people were very interested in him because he was magic. You know, it was exciting to see him. His problem was he, he thought himself to be great. And uh, as we're going to mention in Scripture, that's a very bad place for any of us to find ourselves. And so, in his life, he, he the things of God did not take soil. It did not find a good heart, as we're going to see today. We'll talk a little bit about it. Compared to him is this Ethiopian eunuch. If you look with me, if uh, just kind of let's take a, a, a bounce around this place in Scripture... In the eighth chapter, if you look with me at um, at uh, verse twenty-seven, it said uh, Philip arose and went. We'll talk a little bit about that more when we get started. And it said, "Behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch." Now, here's who he was. He was a court official of Candace. Candace was the key, the queen of the Ethiopians. This. Ethiopian eunuch was in charge of all of her treasure. This, this gentleman was, was uh, high up in the whole area of the Ethiopians. And he was not just somebody. But it says that he had come, in verse 27 at the very end, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now what had happened to him while he was in Jerusalem, obviously nothing happened. Because he's going back to Ethiopia in the same condition that he got to Jerusalem. He's reading the Bible. He's reading um, out of the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, comes this guy named Philip. Philip runs alongside of his chariot and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, how could I unless somebody leads me? How could, how could I understand? Have you ever been there? Have you ever studied the Bible, read it, and said, boy, I don't know, that didn't make very much, I can't figure that out. 
I, I do often, and I thank God for commentaries that lead me to deeper truth so I can understand what is being said in the Word of God. And so Philip comes and, and preaches to him, as it says, if you look at the 35th verse, and we're going to read all of this, Philip opened his mouth and he began from the Scriptures, he preached Jesus Christ to him. See, that's the very essence of what church ought to be about, leading people to Jesus Christ. He didn't tell him some philosophical ideas about religion. He told him about Jesus Christ. We learned that Philip came there after he had already had a marvelous ministry. Look back at verse 25 and 26. I'm doing the message here. Uh, it said, when they had solemnly testified, spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. They, meaning the apostles, uh, Peter and John and, and Philip and the rest of them, they started back to Jerusalem, and they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And so there was a vital ministry going on in the life of Philip. Philip had a ministry going on. And out of nowhere, folks, I'm telling you, out of nowhere, it says in verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road, folks. He went, Philip went, from a place where he had a vital ministry. He had a ministry that was hitting on all cylinders. Out of nowhere, this angel tells him, I want you to go to this desert road. I want you to go to some place that's barren. There's, what is there? And you don't hear Philip saying, why? I've got something going on here. The people are responding. The Samaritans are, are responding to the word. I've got something going on here. And, but he doesn't say that. It says in the next verse, if you look with me in, in, uh, what verse is it? Uh, Verse 27, just simply he arose and he went, immediately obedient to the Lord. We're going to see that is really crucial. Your heart and my heart needs to be like Philip's. We need to be people who respond to the Word of God. When it doesn't seem practical, I mean... Why leave the Samaritans here? I've got something that's going on. We are reaching them for the cause of Christ. And, and, and yet you want me to go to some desert road somewhere, going to Gaza? There's, who's going to be there? So, he does as he was asked. And you know, the basic to our faith, the basic to your faith and my faith is, is obedience. Even in times when it doesn't look practical. Even in times when, when logic says, why? When you and I sense, when we sense that God is speaking to us, we need to move. We need to hear God's voice and respond to it. Now, let's, let me, before I read, uh, I want to read a lot. I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 40 because I want to take a look again at Simon versus this guy, this Ethiopian. And I also want to explain some very uh, important place in Scripture in the, the 14th through the 17th verse in this place in Scripture. Before I do, I want to make a plead to you. Um, next Saturday, the 4th of November, we're having um, a basic rock uh, day. We're going to kind of gather together. Uh, and, and kind of talk about uh, who we are, uh, where we're going, what we believe, and uh, the how-tos, if you would, of our church, and how all of us might better serve the Lord uh, through, through what's going on here. 
what you'll find about us is there's no really hidden agendas. I mean, basically, we're a church that wants to teach the Word of God. And, and today's message will, will, will explain to us why. Basically, we want to hear the Word of God because it is the Word of God that changes the life. And that's basically what we want all of us to become, more and more people with good soil, a good heart, that hears the Word of God and responds to it. And so next Saturday, starting in the morning, there's some uh, brochures and things out in the foyer for you to look at and see when, when to get here. We're, we're going to provide you with lunch. That's great. And we're going to have just a good time. We're going to answer some questions. I'm going to be there. Uh, the staff's going to be there. Uh, we're going to talk about what we are and who we are as a church. And we'd love, absolutely love, uh, for you to be a part of that. And so, uh, so pick up a registration packet, if you would, and, uh, and we'll see you next Saturday. Now, read with me, please, this wonderful place in Scripture. Start with verse 9 with me. It says in verse 9, There was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city, and he was astonishing the people of Samaria. Note, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he observed signs with great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. Verse 14, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for, note, your heart, for your heart, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And now we shift gears to go to verse 25. And now we're going to be introduced to the Ethiopian. In verse 25 it says, And so, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Verse 26 says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and he went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He, the Ethiopian, was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate or who shall describe his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. In verse 34, it says, The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture. He preached Jesus Christ to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus, I think it's called, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. A lot to look at, but it's, it'll fit together, you'll see. It's not so much because what we want to do is compare the two of them. I want you to know something, another thing about what has taken place here. I mentioned to you that, that Philip, Philip went to this desert road not knowing what he would see. You know, he, didn't, he wasn't told what was going to happen there. He, he didn't know he was going to run into this uh, Ethiopian. All he knew, he was going on this desert road where nothing was. And yet he was obedient. Another thing I want you to notice is how God uses miracles to verify what has been said. It's no small thing that out of nowhere, I'm telling you folks, out of nowhere, Philip comes running alongside of this chariot. I mean, this, this eunuch must have thought to himself, where in the world did he come from? Because this is a desert road and he's running alongside of it. And then after he baptized this Ethiopian, you'll note that he, could, he was with him no more. He, 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 the Lord took him out of that situation and put him back on the road to, to go and speak to the Samaritans. And so like every other miracle that took place to verify that was, what was being said, so we see another miracle through the life of Philip to impact that Ethiopian so that the Ethiopian would know that this man was speaking the word of God to him, which allowed him to believe and then allowed him to rejoice. Now, we don't know anything about this Ethiopian other than what we just read. But history tells us, and Dr. McGee, I guess, has done a study on it. History tells us that the church in Africa was, was started by this, this court official of Candace. This one who was in control of all of her treasure. He was one of the high-ranking people of his place in, his, uh, in Africa, in Ethiopia. And he started what Dr. McGee says, one of the great 
movements of Christ in that, in that uh, area of, of anyone. And so Philip, not complaining, going on this desert road, reached a person that impacted most of Ethiopia. Another thing, chapter 8 of the book of Acts is marvelous because it, it um, fulfills what our Lord wanted them to fulfill out of chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, when the Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. And, and he says, I want you to be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, and where? Samaria, and to the other most, most parts of the earth. And what we are seeing in the 8th chapter is the church takes seed in Jerusalem. Because of persecution, the believers were scattered into Samaria and other places. And the seed of God took place in the, the, the city of Samaria. And then, because of Philip's obedient, uh, obedience to go and to go on this desert road, he reaches a Gentile for the cause of Christ. And so we are seeing the gospel go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Chapter 8 of Acts is a marvelous chapter. It is the very essence and the very beginning of the church. And we ought to understand it. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to teach us as we spend the next 20, 25 minutes. Let's, let's, let's ask God. To move our hearts. Father, I, I do that. I do that um, not for my own merit, but for you. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, dear Father, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to move and to teach us all. I ask, Father, humbly that you would move me aside. That, um, that I would not even be noticed if possible, dear Father. But rather that we would uh, be so enthralled with your word that that would move us, that we would, uh, we would sense that you're speaking to our hearts. And so, Father, as I am prone to pray, I ask that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our minds, that we might behold wonderful things from your most precious word. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for everyone here. Bless us, Father. But more importantly, may we be a blessing to you. May we, Father, have a heart like Philip, willing to be obedient, willing, Father God, to be people who will do as you have asked us to do. Thank you, Father, for this time. Teach us. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. Just a little review. Last time, we saw the heart of Simon. And what we saw was that he was a man that was filled with, with pride. Verse 8 tells, I mean, excuse me, verse 9 tells us that. He himself proclaimed to be someone great. Now, I said before and I say again, that, that is a terrible, terrible, faulty view to think that, that, that there's something of ourself that is great. To think that would take away the very essence of what God wants to do in and through our lives. Let me try to explain that. To, to view ourselves as somebody good is as dangerous as it is damning. Because what it does is lull, lull us into having a false sense of security. 
In other words, causing a person to think that God applauds their goodness or their character or whatever it is, is of value, that we think is of value. Believing that we can come to God in our own way. You and I cannot do that. That made Simon believe that he could buy his way into heaven. See, Simon thought, I am somebody special. I can come to God. Let me buy my way into laying my hands on people so they will receive the Holy Spirit like you guys have. He thought that he could buy his way. When in fact, true, value, true salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and He alone. Only He, only Christ, will bring forth true salvation out of your life and my life. Period. It isn't denominationalism. It's not a church. It's not how good you are. It's not how bad you might be. It's not how rich you are. It's not how poor you are. It is purely and simply faith in Jesus Christ that moves within your heart. You see, nothing that God has is for sale. Not the Holy Spirit, not salvation, not the removal of your sin, nothing. That's why we saw a couple of weeks ago out of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, when it says, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. You who have no money, come, buy and eat, buy wine, buy milk without money, without cost. You and I cannot buy our way into heaven. Your position our position, your wealth, our wealth, your, your authority, whatever it is that you might have, cannot buy your way into the Word of God. Rich or poor, you and I come to Christ the same way. And that is through faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Period. Now, with that in mind, I don't want to gloss over verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. Very important for you and I to understand what has taken place. You see... Some churches, some denominations will have a trouble, will have some trouble with verses 14 through 17. They will believe that the Holy Spirit comes at different times other than the point of salvation. What you and, need, you and I need to understand is here in the book of Acts, we are learning about the first beginning of the church. We are learning about the church in Jerusalem, and now we are learning about those that are coming to Christ in Samaria and also into the uttermost parts of the earth through that Ethiopian. So something is happening here in the book of Acts that we must understand. That they had to wait for the apostles to come, John and Peter, so as to lay their hands on the people who had come to Christ. That thinking, if we're not careful can introduce a theology that says there are second, third, and multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit, which the Bible does not teach. Paul very clearly teaches in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. Listen to this. He says, You are not in the flesh, but you are of the Spirit. If indeed, he says, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But he says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, of Christ, they do not belong to Him. And so, you and I, once we come to Christ, now, the moment we come to Christ, we are filled with the Spirit of God. So why did the apostles have to come and lay their hands on the people for the Spirit to come and, put, and, and allow them to have the Spirit of God at that time? 
Why? I'm telling you it's pure logic. And I want to see if you don't agree. Let's think about it. For centuries, the Samaritans, as well as the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, had all been bitter rivals. They literally hated one another. Had nothing to do with one another. Do you remember when Jesus Christ went to Samaria? And he met that woman at the well. And, he, and she said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, would have anything to do with me, a Samaritan? They had nothing to do with one another. And so, if the Samaritans, and later on we're going to see the same thing will happen to the Gentiles, if they had received the Holy Spirit independent from the church in Jerusalem, that rift would have only been widened instead of being brought together. And worse, the church would have begun with separate churches and separate authorities. Sadly, that has happened within Christendom today. A lot of denominations, a lot of people that have different views of what is really Christianity. But God always had designed for there to be one theology and one authority. And that only authority is none other than Jesus Christ. Listen to Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. Paul writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. He says there is neither male nor female. He says we are all one in Jesus Christ. So by delaying the Spirit's coming until Peter and John arrived, it did something very great to the church. God himself preserved the unity of the church by showing the people in Jerusalem that the Spirit of God came upon the Samaritans and later the Gentiles just as it did upon them in Jerusalem. God kept the unity of the church by having the same apostles lay their hands on the Jews as well as the Samaritans, as well as we're going to find out in time, the Gentiles. And also, very important, the Samaritans, later the Gentiles, needed to know that they were subject to the same apostolic authority like everyone else. Thus, God in allowing the Spirit of God to wait upon them until John and Peter came, and allowing them to lay their hands on them, the same authority was given to the Samaritans as was given to the Jews, which will be the same authority that will be given to the Gentiles. Thus God linked together Jew, Gentile, and Samaritans into one church with one authority. And that's the way it ought to be. What God is trying to do is to make unity within our body. Unity between you and your family. Unity between you and the person sitting alongside you or near you. Someone within the body. Unity within the whole body of Christ. And more, unity from one church to another church that professes that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And that the Word of God is ultimate to you and me as knowing and understanding who he is. And so God did all of that, verses 14 to 17, to unify them all into one church. Now, obviously the church 
they had different churches because there were churches in Jerusalem, churches in Samaria, and later on churches for the Gentiles. But they were supposed to fall under the same apostolic authority, just as you and I are. That should make you very comfortable. For us as a church, the Rock Community Church, our authority is none other than Jesus Christ. That is it. He is our authority. And we want to follow what the apostles have set down as rules and regulations for us as a church. And so we follow what they have asked us to do. Now, do we mess up? You bet we do, because we're human beings. We've, we fall short, the staff, but if you only knew, honestly, if you only knew how much time and diligence the staff does, the executive staff, to kind of think through how are we doing this, where are we going, and they pray and they pray and they pray and they take time to find out whether it is God's voice speaking to them or their own. And yes, we do make errors, but not on purpose. But we want to be a church that follows the authority of our Lord. And that's why we do what we do here at this church. That's why we study the Word of God, so that you and I will be comfortable about what does the church truly look like. And so we want to be a church that, that follows the teaching of our Lord. We want to be a church that prays with together, that has communion together, and that we really have this unity with one another. So that's why verses 14 through 17 are very, under, very important for you and me to understand. There was a sense of unity, a sense of authority, because Peter and John came to lay his hands on those that received Christ. Now, Peter, let's get back to Simon. Simon says, can I buy this? Peter says to Simon in verse 20 of Acts chapter 8, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. And so Peter tells Simon, the same thing he said to the religious leaders of that day, the same thing he would say if he was here right now at this pulpit, he would say to you and me the very same thing as he would to anyone who needed to come to know and believe in Jesus Christ. You see, the message that Peter gave, that Philip gave, that John gave, that Paul eventually will give, has always been the same. It is repent. It is Prepare your heart to, to accept the things of God, to have good soil so it can take seed within your heart and be ready to forgive yourself and forgive, find forgiveness for your sin. Look what he says in verse 22. Peter says to him, Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Repentance... Heart forgiveness. That's the very essence of your faith and my faith. Repentance is key. Repentance means to stop going one way, turn around and go the other way. If you're going away from God, the Bible says repent. So you're going this way. The Lord's back this way. The message to you is repent. Stop going this way. Go back to God. That's repentance. While you're repenting, Prepare your hearts. Have good soil. only way you and I can prepare our hearts to have good soil is by understanding and knowing the Word of God. Prepare your hearts to hear the things of God so that you might, uh, you might be able to bring forth fruit a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold if the Lord so desires. And in the process of that, be ready to ask for and receive forgiveness. It is critical. 
But Simon, here's Simon's problem. Personally, he refused to ask the Lord for forgiveness. Instead, he says in verse 24, you, you pray for me. Look what it says. Pray to the Lord for me yourself so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Listen, folks, true salvation is personal. It's always been personal. It's never been collective. True salvation comes from every individual that's in this place on their own. You do not, you do not have salvation because you go to church. You have salvation because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is yours and yours alone. And nobody can take it away from you and nobody can add it to you. It is something that you and I must do on our own. And Simon refused. He says, you pray to the Lord for me so that none of this that is going to happen to me may take place. His only concern, folks, was to escape the temporal consequences of his sin. But true repentance consists more of just um, escapism from sin. True repentance is to, is to be sorrowful that what we have done might have offended our Lord, our God. I want to show you this. It's, it is probably the most critical thing we're going to hear this morning. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Please turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Listen to these words by Paul. It's a longing to be right with God. This is critical. I want you to read this with me with great care. Paul says in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, I now rejoice. In other words, now I'm happy. Now I'm overjoyed. Not, he says, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to what? To the point of repentance. You see, he says, now he says, I'm happy. I'm happy. Not that you're sorrowful. I'm happy that you're sorrowful to the point where you want to repent. Look what he goes on to say in the rest of verse 9. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces what? It produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world... It produces death. You see, Simon was sorry. He was sorry that he was going to get in trouble for what he'd done. So instead of repenting, instead of asking the Lord to forgive him, he says, you ask the Lord for me. It never works that way. You and I must individually ask for repentance on our own. We must come to the Lord our God on our own. It is a personal relationship. So the sorrow that is according to the will of God, that produces a repentance without regret. It leads to salvation. And so, folks, it is critical that you and I understand repentance. The whole of Scripture, anytime you see the apostles preach, they preach to repent. Repent is essential because once you turn towards God and start to understand His Word, then your, your heart becomes softened. Your heart becomes pliable. Your heart becomes good soil. And God can then do whatever it is that He chooses to do in your life, in my life, in our hearts, to make us the people that He has created us to be. Simon's problem was he had a terrible view of himself. Prideful. Thought he was somebody great. He had a terrible view of salvation. He thought he could buy his way in. 
He had a terrible view of the seriousness of his sin. He would not repent. You need to personally repent. Now, what happened to the Ethiopian? Completely the opposite. His coming to Christ was so much different. And first and foremost, he went from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, a long, long journey, simply to worship. He went there to find out something about this God. He wanted to understand this, this person called God. And once he was in Jerusalem, nobody there shared with him the very essence of who God was. And so he's going back towards Gaza on this desert road, empty. <clears throat> he's still reading Scripture, but he has no idea what's taking place. What made it different in his life was, first and foremost, God moved upon his life. Verses 25 and 26, we already looked at it. See it again. They had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord. Then they started back to Jerusalem, they meaning the apostles. They were preaching the gospel to the villages of Samaria. But an angel, an angel of the Lord, spoke to Philip and said, Arise and go south. Go to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. You don't see anything else that you're going to see this Ethiopian eunuch. You're going to see this guy on this chariot. Just go. God had prepared the heart of Philip and the heart of that Ethiopian to hear the word of God. God had gone before Philip. And if you'll note Philip's obedience in verse 27, he just simply arose and he went. Listen, this is what it tells me. This tells me very clearly there are no chance encounters when it comes to God. There is no chance encounters when it comes to your life, your life, your life, your life, your life, your life, my life. God's moving in all of our lives. And there's no, ooh, wasn't that a wonderful coincidence? Ooh, aren't I lucky that God did that? No, there are no chance encounters. God is moving in and through your life. You and I need to open up our spiritual eyes and see what God is doing right before our own eyes. Secondly, the Word of God must be given out because only it will pierce a person's heart. When the, when the Ethiopian asked Philip, I don't know, tell me, is, it talking, is this guy talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? Who is he talking about? And Philip said in verse 35, he, began, he opened his mouth and he began from the Scripture and he preached Jesus Christ to him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. That is why we must preach every church, every church that opens its doors and doesn't allow the congregation to hear about the word of God, doesn't preach the word of God, is allowing the people to come to church and go out of church in the same way they came in. Oh, they might feel a little better about themselves. It might have been an uplifting message. It might have been something that encouraged them. But it'll be nothing in their hearts. It'll do nothing to this soil. Only the word of God is, is the thing that'll make us have good soil. And then is only the Word of God that will move into our hearts and, and make us the person that He wants us to be. You know, it's, with all due respect, music won't do it, although I really love what Danny has to do, and that is to sing you and me hymns every once in a while, because that's as close to hearing the Word of God as you and I are going to be. But it isn't even hymns or, or music that will do it. It is the Word of God. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is active. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joint and marrow. 
the Word of God is able to, to judge the thoughts and the intentions of what? The thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. The Word of God, like the parable says, that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 13, takes the seed, the Word of God, and it does a work within our soil, within our heart, and it will produce fruit if we're willing to understand what God is saying and willing to do what He asks of us. And so it is our hearts that must change. In salvation, here's what we see. Salvation takes the Spirit of God uses a person of God, you and me, to deliver the Word of God to produce a child of God. Salvation takes the Spirit of God, uses the person of God, delivering the Word of God to produce a child of God. Jesus said, you search the Scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. He says, it is in these, it is in this, it is in the Scriptures that they testify about me. Salvation only comes, folks, for you and me hearing God's Word when it preaches Jesus Christ for true salvation. That's what Philip did. He didn't mess around with this Ethiopian. He taught him about Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. And what takes place next is nothing short of a miracle. We don't know much about it because we don't know much about this Ethiopian eunuch. But we do know one thing about him. In verses 36, 37, 38, he came to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior with all of his heart. Note what Philip asks him. Philip says in verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized, that is. And this afternoon we're going to have a baptism over the Verhoeven's home. Thank you for them. They're very kind to open up their home. And for any of you that want to come, please come. If just to celebrate with those that are going to be baptized. And the word baptism there in the Greek is B-A-P-T-I-Z-O. It means to dip or to immerse. It means to be put into water as, as a person who is alive and dies and then comes back to life again. It's a picture of our salvation. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation as far as making you saved. Baptism is purely an outward expression of what has taken place in your heart. And baptism cannot save you. It just is an expression for those that, that care, that can see that you now are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the Ethiopian, after he had been baptized, after Philip was taken away from him, it says in verse 39, he just went on his way rejoicing. Let me read to you out of the, one of the most precious places in the Word of God. Peter wrote it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Or excuse me, verse 8. Peter says... And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you have not seen Him now, you believe in Him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what happened to this Ethiopian. This Ethiopian went to Jerusalem to worship God. He came back on that road to Gaza. He went back on his way to Ethiopia. The same person he he, nothing had really changed until Philip came and told him about Jesus Christ. And then what we hear about this Ethiopian is that he rejoiced. He rejoiced that he now understands what had taken place in his life. He now had the joy of his salvation. Folks, true salvation produces a new life in you and in me. 
And true salvation produces a life that believes in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then true salvation produces rejoicing, joy within our hearts over our newfound faith. I'm not so naive to think that we're going to be happy even though you may be going through some difficult times. And some of us might be. Some of us right now will be going through deep, deep, deep waters. But deep within that very most inner being of who you and I are, there must be that joy of salvation that one day we will be with the Lord. We have salvation. We have everlasting life. And that is a joy that only God can bring into your heart and your life. And that's what I pray for you. I pray for me. I pray in the midst of our difficulties that we would find a rejoicing heart. That even though we have not yet seen Him, we love Him. Even though we do not see Him now, we believe in Him. And we greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible, full of glory. My challenge, I guess, to you and me today is to, in the midst of the difficulties that we might be going through, to sense that there is a a joy in our hearts, that we have the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and He alone. And when we learn more about Him and our hearts become right before Him, we start to produce fruit. And so I, I pray that that will be the desire of your heart. That if you have the chance to come this afternoon and come to the baptism next Saturday, you would come to a Basic Rock and, and, and find out what we stand for as a church and how you too can become involved. It's important for us to be a church that really is unified. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the greatest, greatest privilege you could ever give anybody on the face of this earth, and that is the opportunity to understand and to know your word, to hear it, and to respond to it, and to receive the most precious of all gifts, and that is eternal, eternal life through Jesus Christ, who asks us to repent, to prepare our hearts, and to forgive and seek forgiveness. So, Lord, thank you for this time that we have. Thank you for everybody here. Bless them. Bless them greatly, Father. What a privilege you've given me to be here with them. I am, I count it a great privilege. Father, now bless us as we go from here. And bring us back next week, Father, um, just fully ready to, to worship you again. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all so much. Have a great, great day. See you next week.